Have a seat, have a seat. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 is where we're going to be this morning. We began kind of talking about this idea of defining moments last week. And one thing we all know is true is this, is that life is filled with moments, isn't it? Life is filled with tons of moments. But here's what I hope you got last week. It's how we respond to those moments that define and shape the trajectory of our lives. Do you believe that? See, moments happen. Life happens. Cancer happens. Job loss happens. Things happen. And we look at those moments and go, well, those moments define and shape my life. That's not true. What defines and shape our lives is how we respond to those moments. Do we respond out of great faith and trusting the Lord? Or do we respond out of little faith, trusting only ourselves? See, it's how we respond to the moments that define and shape the trajectory of our lives. I hope you get that. Because last week we saw Peter, and he had two really big moments, right? One moment of great faith and one moment of not-so-great faith, and both those moments shaped him. And today we're going to look at another really powerful moment. It's a moment where Jesus encounters some religious leaders, and there's tension. Now, I find it interesting, and you may find this interesting as well, Jesus always had more problems with religious leaders and not the lost people. You ever thought about that? It wasn't the rebels, it wasn't the outcasts that gave Jesus issues, it was the religious leaders. And the issue they have today that we're going to look at is over what defiles a person, meaning what makes a person unclean before God, which, which the idea of unclean means that I, I'm, I'm not pure before God, therefore I don't receive the blessing and the, and the provision that God wants for me. So what is it that defiles a person, makes us unclean before God? And what we find out is the religious leaders have one idea, and obviously, Jesus has what? A completely different idea. Now, it's going to be real easy for all of us to go, well, you should do what Jesus did. Well, here's the truth of the matter. What the religious leaders present as we get into it makes a lot of sense from a human standpoint. And what Jesus says about this issue is very difficult because what it requires is deep examination of our own lives and a real change. And I don't know about you, but when I examine my heart and my life at a deep level, sometimes that's a very difficult task because I always like to give myself a break or give myself an out. The truth of the matter is what Jesus said is very, very powerful, but it infringes on a lot of what we think about our lives. And so here's what I want to do today. At the end of the story, there's a crowd there, and they've heard what the religious leaders think, and they've heard what Jesus thinks, and their defining moment was, which one are they going to do? Are they going to go with what the religious leader says it means to defile yourself and be unclean before God? Or are they going to go with what Jesus says? So this was a big moment for the crowd, and I believe it's going to be a big moment for us today as well. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 15, we are just going to walk through the passage, all right? There's not really uh, any major points I want you to write down, but I want you to get the idea and the passage. So I'm going to start reading verse 1 and 2 as we see this powerful exchange. Verse 1 of chapter 15 says this. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said this, Why do your disciples break the tradition of elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? Now, just real quickly here, this is kind of this first part of this exchange. The religious leaders come to Jesus, and they reprimand him. Now, think about that one. They reprimand the Son of God. 
That's like, you should never do that, right? So they reprimand him. These religious leaders who know the law, they come to Jesus and they reprimand Jesus. They rebuke Jesus because of what his disciples did not do. Now, what did they not do in the passage? Wash their hands before they ate. This is every mother's dream verse, right? They did not wash their hands. Now, what we think of is, okay, they didn't wash their hands, so they weren't clean. For the, for the religious leaders, this was not a hygienic thing. This wasn't, hey, your hands are filthy, dirty, wash them before you eat. For them, this was about ceremonial cleansing. So before you would eat food, you would go through a ceremonial cleansing of washing your hands, which means now when you eat that food, you're able to stand before God and truly give God honor and thanks for the bread and the meal that he's provided, and you stand clean before God in that moment. So it was a ceremonial thing. It was about washing their hands. So when you think about that, you're kind of like, I can see where the Pharisees are coming from, that people, when they wash their hands, it's not just about getting the dirt out from underneath your fingernails. It's about preparing themselves to be thankful for the meal that God has provided. Would you have any real offense to that? But here's the problem. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, basically believed that if you broke tradition, if you broke these traditions, that you would defile yourself. If you did not go through the ceremonial hand-washing ceremony before you ate, and you ate without doing that, that would defile you. But here's the problem. Let's go back to a verse. Let's go back to verse 2 if we can. You can throw it back up there, Thomas. Verse 2. I want you to notice something here. Verse, uh, why do your disciples, I'm sorry, verse, there you go. Why do your disciples break the tradition, next verse, of the elders? Now, I want you to notice something here. They didn't say, why do your disciples break the commandments of God? Did they say that? No. They said, why do your disciples break the tradition of elders? Here's what that means. This hand-washing ceremonial thing was a man-made tradition. That's what it was. It was a man-made tradition. So these religious leaders are saying, if you break our man-made traditions that the elders and the religious leaders have come up with, that is defiling yourself. That means you can't stand before God clean and pure. And you see this idea all throughout the Gospels. Let me take another issue, the issue of the Sabbath. We know that the Sabbath was created by God for man. Amen? And here's the premise of the Sabbath, biblically, is to rest and to worship. That is the Sabbath. But the Pharisees and religious leaders added on to that. They said, no, no, no. It's not just about rest and worship. It's about not working at all. And so I was reading some Jewish historians like Josephus this week, and they said they were so over the top that they would even say stuff like this. You can't even hold a mirror because if you hold a mirror, like at least for me, I would hold a mirror and I might see gray and I might want to pluck the gray out of my beard, which would be, I wouldn't have one because there's way too much gray there. But you can't do that because even plucking the gray out is considered work. In fact, let me take it back a step further. Holding the mirror to look at your face to pluck the gray out would be considered work and you couldn't do that. Now, these guys were over the top. It wasn't just like they said, let's obey God's commands. It was they added man-made traditions on top of it, just like the Sabbath. It was no longer just about rest and worship. It was about no, not working at all. That's why they got onto Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. You don't do that. Or they got mad at the, fair, or the disciples as they walked through the wheat field and they were hungry. They began to thresh the wheat and eat it. You don't do that. That's work. And so they truly believed that if you didn't keep their man-made traditions, that you were going to be defiled before God. See, in their mindset, breaking tradition was heresy. 
To break the man-made traditions was heretical. And you couldn't be clean before God. Now, can I just tell you the problem with this issue? These men elevated tradition over truth. Are you with me on that? They elevated man-made tradition over scriptural truth. And if you were going to be right with God in their eyes, you had to keep man-made traditions. Now, there's a problem with that, isn't there? Do we live in a world that does that too? Do we live in a world where there are Christians and denominations and a belief system that permeates that says that if you don't keep a man-made tradition, that somehow that you cannot be right before God. And that tradition is elevated and even held supremely over the truth of Scripture. So these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they come out shooting and blazing at Jesus going, hey, your guys didn't keep this tradition, therefore they are defiled before God. What are you thinking, Jesus? And then Jesus tells him what he's thinking. Look what happens next. Look at verse 4. It says this, verse 4 through 6. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles or hates his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me if this was not given to the Lord, he said, is not honoring your father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now, let, let me clear up some things there. Let's start with what Jesus said. Jesus confronts them and says this, you have broken God's commandments to maintain your man-made traditions. Now, what was the commandment that Jesus called him out on? The fifth commandment, which is what? To honor your father and your mother. I love the way that, that Ephesians says it. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land. Which always, when I taught teenagers, I would always say, that means if you don't honor your father and mother, they have the right just to take you out. No, I just, and so, so anyway, you, you live long in the land. So the point is this, is that you need to honor your father and mother. What does that mean in this culture? That means to show them respect. But let me say this too, and I want you to hear me, because it still means the same thing today. It means there's a point as an adult that you have to begin to take responsibility for your parents' lives. Can I tell you one of the saddest things for me at age 46 is seeing my parents get older? It's hard. My dad passed away three years ago. My mom is hitting her late 70s right now. It's hard to see that. But here's the truth of the matter is, as I get older and as she gets older, whose responsibility is to care and to honor and take care of my mother? It's her kids. It's mine. And in this culture, the same thing's true. It's not just about showing them respect and not disobeying them. It's to honor your father and mother, meaning when they need you responsibly, whether it's, whether it's financially or whether it's caretaking, that you would honor your parents in that way. But the religious leaders didn't like that. So they found a way around it. Look in verse 5. This is going to be a little hairy, but I'm going to explain it to you. Verse 5 and 6 says this. He says, verse 5. Here we go. For God commanded, honor your father and mother who reviles his mother, but surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, he not, need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Now here's what he's talking about. That in that day and time, if your parents were elderly and they had to be taken care of, not just with honor and respect, but financially, it was the responsibility of the kids to chip in and to help with their parents. They didn't like that, so they found a way around it. 
And they would say this. They, actually, you can study this. You can go to Josephus, a Jewish historian. And, and the actual word here is the word korban. It's C-O-R-B-A-N, korban. And really what it means is a gift to the Lord. So here's what happened. The, the religious leaders created a man-made tradition called the korban. And here's what it was. For, for anybody who's a Jewish person, a tenth of all you made was called the tithe and it went to the Lord. We all knew that. But then you've got this 90%. So if you had parents who were aging and needed your money, it was your responsibility to use whatever beyond the 10% that was necessary to take care of your mother and your father. That was important. So what they divided, decided to devise was the korban, which means you could allocate out of that 90% whatever percentage you wanted because you were saying my korban is I'm additionally going to give this to the Lord. Now, whether they gave that to the Lord or not, who knows? But they would allocate an extra set of money called the korban that they were going to give that to God. Why do they do that? Because that korban money was not viewed as income and therefore did not have to be used to help out with the parents. Are you following me on that one? That's crazy, isn't it? They so didn't want to help their parents that they devised a way to allocate money to say that it's for the Lord, whether they gave it to the Lord or not, just so they wouldn't have to use that allocated amount of money to help with their parents. And so here's what Jesus is saying. You have undermined the commandment and the truth of God with your silly traditions. You have undermined the commandment to honor your father and your mother, and you create a tradition that totally undermines that just because of your selfish, selfish heart. Now, do we know people that do that kind of stuff all the time? Do we know people that when they come to the truth of Scripture, they don't like what they read, and so they try to create a way around it to justify their actions? Do we ever do that? Probably, right? And Jesus, listen, these religious leaders, are, they're like, they're rebuking Jesus. And Jesus, wait a minute. Here's the deal. You're not breaking a man-made tradition. You're breaking the commandments of God. The one you say you follow, the scrolls from which you read, the one that you worship, you are breaking his commandments. Why? Because you've created a man-made tradition to work your way around one of his commands. And think about it. These guys are rebuking Jesus, and Jesus calls them out because they're breaking commandments, and then Jesus says something in verse 7 that's very, very powerful. Look what he says, the very first phrase. Verse 7, you what? Hypocrites. You're worried about washing our hands to be clean before God, and you are breaking the commandments of God. You are a hypocrite. You say you love God, you say you honor God, you've created all these traditions, but yet in your heart and in your mind, you've worked your way around the commandments of God. Listen, you're the hypocrite. Get off my disciples' back. It's you. Now, the word hypocrite is the Greek word for play actor. It's where the Greek culture gets the idea of wearing masks, presenting yourself as something that you are not. Wow. This word was loaded and pregnant with meaning, wasn't it? He said, you're a hypocrite, meaning you say you love God, but your life doesn't reflect that at all. Man, if you're the religious leaders, I think I would just back away, wouldn't you? I mean, he's called, I mean, he's not just like called them out. He's like dropped the mic and walked away. I mean, he is laying down the gauntlet with these folks. He says, listen, you want to rebuke my disciples. Here's the truth. You're breaking the commandments of God to keep your silly traditions. You are hypocrites. You pretend like you love God, 
But there could be nothing farther from the truth. Now look what he says next in verse 8 and 9. This is an exact quote from Isaiah 29 and 13. He says this. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are where? Their hearts are where? Far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, man-made traditions. In other words, listen, you say you love me. You, you know the right stuff to say. But here's the truth, guys. Here's the truth, religious leaders. Here's the truth, Pharisees. Here's the truth, scribes. You say you love your heavenly Father, but your hearts are far from him. And therefore, your worship, your man-made tradition worship, is vanity. It's insignificant. It's reckless. And it means absolutely nothing. Now listen. This is powerful, isn't it? I mean, he's standing in front of the who's who of the Jewish culture, and he's telling them that their hearts are wicked. He's telling them that they have totally missed this thing. They've made being clean before God and pure before God, blessed by God, about keeping man-made traditions. All the whole while, they are breaking the very true commandments of God. He says, you're hypocrites. You're giving God lip service, but it's your life. And your heart that doesn't match up with what you're saying. Therefore, your worship is null and void. Now pause there for a minute. Can you resonate with that? Has there been moments in your life where you said the right things? God bless you. Praise the Lord. You sang the songs. And our hearts were far from him. I wonder why when I left, nothing changed in my life. Well, I can tell you why. Because our hearts were far from him. Well, when I left there, I wonder why, you know, I said all the right stuff, but I didn't, I didn't feel like God stirred me. Maybe, maybe it was that terrible pastor. Maybe it was that terrible worship. Maybe it was those terrible people. I mean, you know, I know why it happened, because our, we said the right stuff, but our hearts were never engaged. Never what we said and what our heart was were in rhythm and in sync. And therefore, our worship is what? In vain. They missed it. And then Jesus totally, Jesus totally clarifies what it takes to truly defile a person, what it takes to truly be unclean before a holy God. Here's what he says in verse 17 through 20. Now you say, well, Doug, you're skipping some verses. Well, listen, here's what happens in those verses. Jesus just kind of really wrecks the, the, the Pharisees. He, he offends them totally. He tells them they're blind guides, and people who follow them are blind as well, and they can enjoy themselves in the pit of hell. I mean, that's basically what Jesus says. He calls them out. And then Jesus can, becomes less concerned with the religious leaders, and now he looks to the crowd who's heard all this stuff, and he says, you need to know what truly defiles you, what truly makes you unclean before God. Here's what he says in verse 10. And he called all the people to him and said this, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles that person. Now, some would say, you're saying, Doug, that what Jesus said is, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out. That's not what he said at all. Now, I've heard people preach it that way, and I'm, you, know, you know me. I like words. I like semantics, and so we're going to get into that because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, it doesn't matter what goes into your life. It's all about what comes out of your life. That's not what he said, because if that was true, if, if that's really what Jesus said, let's just be honest in the room today, okay? 
That means you can listen to all the filthy jokes at work you want to because you hear it in your ears, but it doesn't really affect you, right? Or you can watch all the pornography you want to watch because in the, the day, it doesn't affect you. You can, you, can, you, can watch, you can hear all the terrible music that defames the name of God all you want to because if it goes in, it doesn't affect you. That's not what Jesus said. What we do know from Scripture is what impacts the heart eventually comes out of the what? The mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. So Jesus is not saying it doesn't matter what you put into your life. It's what comes out that matters. No, here's what Jesus is saying. They're talking about food. Remember, it's a food issue. It's a ceremonial cleansing of the hand. Here's what Jesus is saying. Just because my disciples' hands weren't ceremonially clean before they put the food in didn't defile them. It's what comes out of their mouth is what defiles them. Are you with me on that? He's talking about food here, not about anything else. Because if he, if he meant everything else, that means he's given us a, a free reign to let anything into our lives we want to and have the attitude, well, it doesn't affect me. And can I just say to you, I've had too many conversations with too many people that already believe that, and it is wrong. What goes in always what? Comes out. There used to be a song back in the 90s, garbage in, garbage out. It's true. What Jesus is saying is, because my guys didn't wash their hands before they put the food in, that didn't defile them. What defiles them is what comes out of their life. And then he goes on, look what he says next, because then he just kind of lays the truth out for them. Verse 17 through 20, he says this. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Do I need to talk about that, or are we all good on that biologically? Okay, biologically, we're all good on that one? If you have any questions, see Nancy when we're done. She'd love to answer that for you, okay? Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from where? The heart. And this defiles a person. For out of our heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat what is unwashed by the hand, with the hands does not defile anyone. Here's what Jesus says. What defiles us is what the heart produces. What the heart produces is what defiles a person. So if what the heart produces is evil, and we express evil, like he mentions here, look, look at the list he gives here. He says stuff like evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness. If we have evil thoughts and we have evil things that, that come out of our life, listen to me, the issue is the heart. That's the problem. So when evil comes out, guess what? That's a reflection of the condition of our heart. See, in verse 10, 11, what Jesus was telling this crowd was this, is that what defiles you has nothing to do with the external traditions that are man-made. What defiles you has everything to do with the condition of your heart. So what our heart produces is what defiles us. So if we have this evil stuff that comes out that we express our evil through rage and anger and hatefulness and bitterness and unforgiveness and adultery, just any evil that you want to mention out there, those things are reflection of, guess what? My heart. And the flip is true. When godliness comes out, guess what that's a reflection of? Not a trick question. What's that a reflection of? My heart. 
So when people truly love God with everything in them, that's a reflection of their heart. When people truly love other people and serve people, that's a reflection of their heart. When people truly give their tithes and their offerings to the Lord and because they, they love him and they adore him, that's a reflection of their heart. When people choose to, to take their time that they have and to go and to serve someone else for the greater good and for the kingdom of God, that's a reflection of their heart. So if evil comes out, it reflects what? My heart. If godliness comes out, guess what? It reflects my heart. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's say you're here today, and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but yet you find yourself today, in a few moments, Elijah's going to come up, and he's going to say something like this. We're going to continue worship by giving our offering today, giving our tithes and offerings today. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to give our tithe back to the Lord. Amen? It's a small, <laughs> only a few of you sound convinced on that one. So I'm like, oh, it is it is we got a lot I can show you on that it is but if you're a believer today and you say you know what I choose and refuse to give my tithes and offerings to the Lord listen that's not a financial issue that's a heart issue that's right that's a heart issue it's not a financial problem well Doug you just don't understand you're right I don't but God doesn't he knows everything but he's not okay with that see it's not a financial issue it's a heart issue Let's say you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you decide that, you know what, I, I'm put out, I'm frustrated, I'm distraught, I'm disenfranchised. I'm going to choose to go live like the world. Listen, that's not a behavior issue. It's a heart issue. Are you with me on that one? See, what defiles a person has nothing to do with keeping or not keeping man-made traditions. What defiles a person has everything to do with the condition of a heart. So here's what Jesus knew. If you buy into traditionalism, like the Pharisees and religious leaders are pushing, if you buy into that, guess what? That's all about you exalting self. Look what I've done. Look what I did. Look how awesome I am. And you know what that leads to? It leads to pride. Everybody watch me. That's why when the Pharisees prayed, they stood and they held their cloak and said, I think you've got to out like that tax collector. And you know what that kind of traditionalism produces? Hypocrites. Those who say one thing, and their hearts are far from him. And if someone buys into traditionalism that somehow I've got to work and do all these man-made traditions to somehow be clean and right before God, listen to me, that is a heart issue because it leads to pride, it leads to exalting yourself, and it leads to a life of hypocrisy. That's a heart issue. But you know what Jesus also knew? That if we have a heart that's pure, that heart is humble. That heart is holy. And you know what a pure heart produces? A real disciple of Jesus. That's what it produces. See, Jesus wants us to understand it's about a heart issue. The condition of our heart is truly what matters. That if we want to stand clean before God and receive the blessings and the favor of God in our lives, it's not about keeping man-made traditions. It's about checking the condition of our hearts. So today, I think we need a heart checkup. I'm serious. I think we need a heart checkup. I want to ask you some pretty tough questions here for a minute. You ready? Don't answer out loud. That may not want to hear the answer. Just think about it. Why are you here today? Why, I mean, think about it. Really. Why are you here? Is it because you're supposed to be here? Is it because your spouse nagged you to be here? Is it because of something you can check off your list, say, God, I did this this week? Why are you here? Are you here because 
You've got these traditions you've got to keep and these rules you've got to keep. So somehow God will look at you and go, oh, I am so proud of you. Uh, you went today. I'm proud of you. Or did you come today because you wanted to meet with the creator of the universe? Or did you come today because the body of Christ coming together, you experienced something in the body you can't experience on your own watching TV? Why did we come today? What's the motivation? Why do we give in a few moments? Because some of you, I know you, because I've been there. When you get ready to drop that check or that cash in there, there's a part of you goes, just hold on a little bit longer. Why do we give? Do we give because we feel like we're obligated to give, or do we give because the overflow of the heart says, Lord, with all that you've given me, this is the least I could give back to you? And why do we serve? Do we serve because a loudmouth pastor stands on the stage and says, the church has got to be a church that reaches people and loves people? Or do we do it because the overflow of my heart, I'm so desperately in love with Jesus, the overflow of my heart is I want to serve this community. I want more and more people to be part of what God is doing here. I want more and more people to come to faith in Christ. Why do we serve? I need you to check your heart today. I need us as a church to check our hearts today. And may we stray from routine. May we stray from traditionalism. And may what we do here, week in and week out, whether it's worship, small groups, small groups during the week, serving our community, whatever we do, may it be out of the overflow and the love that we have in our heart for the Lord. Not because some wrought tradition or some measly obligation that we feel. So today, I think we need to check our hearts. And I think maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus. And here's what I think we need as followers. I think we need heart surgery. I think we need heart surgery. I think we need to check our hearts and see if there's different things in the world that have gained the attention and the affection of our hearts. And if they have, we need to remove them from our lives. And today as believers, we need to get our heart back in check with our creator. Maybe, you know, if you need prayer, we're going to have some people on both sides of the room who'd love to pray with you. But if you just need some alone time with you and God to get your heart right, this carpet right here, this altar is for you. I mean, if you just need some alone time, nobody around you, and just get up here on your knees and go, Lord, my heart is not in the right place, but I want my heart to belong to you again. I want to live and to love you like never before. Maybe today that's what you need to do. There needs to be surgery happen spiritually in some of our hearts, and this altar is going to be open for you. But some of us here in the day don't know Christ, and we don't need heart surgery. We need a heart transplant. We need the old removed and be given a new heart, a new nature, become a new creation in Christ. You know how that happens? By simply surrendering our lives, admitting that we're sinners, and that today we want to give our life to Christ. So here's what I know for all of us today. Wherever you find yourself in this service, wherever you find yourself spiritually today, it all reflects the condition of your heart. And can I just be real honest? If some of us had that conversation one-on-one, you would say this, I'm not happy with where I'm at. Well, guess what? You don't have to stay there. All you have to do is to change the attention and the affection of your heart and recommit that back to the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to this. Everybody stand with me, every head bowed and every eye closed. Everybody just go ahead and stand with me. Just everybody stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask those who help me, just if you need to be prayed for, we're going to have people on the sides of the room. We're going to have a couple over here and a couple on the other side of the stage, just to the outside. If you need prayer, and people would love just to pray with you. But every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you this question. If you're here today and you're that believer, like me, and you would just simply say, you know, my heart is not where it needs to be. And today, I really want to recommit myself 
to having a heart for the Lord, just put your hand up and put it right back down. I, I really can't even see you. I just want you to acknowledge that before the Lord. Anybody like that? Amen. Anybody else? Well, as soon as I say amen in a moment, this altar is open. And if that's you, I ask you to join me at this altar and say, Lord, check my heart today. We need to have the same attitude as David when he says, Lord, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, and renew a right spirit within me. If you're a believer and that is your prayer today, because life has knocked you down, this altar is open to you. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you need a transplant. And today I would love for you to come forward and say, I'm going to trade this old selfish heart in and I want Jesus to radically give me a new heart, a new life, and become a new creation in Christ. I give my life to him today. If you need to do that, this invitation is for you as well. But may we not leave, any of us, without doing business with God. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for today. God, this is such a powerful passage. And God, I think we're a lot more like the religious leaders than we care to think. Sometimes we buy into the lie that says, if I do enough right stuff, that somehow, God, I'm going to be right before you and I'm going to receive your blessing. But God, I, I pray that we're reminded that traditionalism leads to pride. It produces hypocrisy. What we need to do is call our heart into check. Lord, this is a defining moment for us. Those people that day had a choice to make. To pursue traditionalism like the Pharisees taught or to check their own hearts and surrender it to you. We have that decision before us today, Lord. I pray for believers that we would examine our hearts, that you would move in us today. And if our hearts belong somewhere else, that today we would find ourselves at this altar alone with you, making things right. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, that today they would know that you're offering them a brand new heart, a heart that gives life, a heart that gives forgiveness and a heart to live and to love you. God, I pray for those people today. May they give their life to you. God, be at this time. May your Holy Spirit move. And as we feel led, Lord, would we be faithful and obedient to move and to respond. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and your Holy Son's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Hey, listen, this invitation is for all of us. If you need to come get alone, this altar's open. If you need to accept Christ, I'm right there. would love to talk to you. But please don't let this moment slip by. Don't this moment be one of those, oh, I'll take care of it later. Because you know when later comes? Never. Because later always leads to later and later, and we never make it right with God. Today I'm asking you, believers, believers who say they're part of Cross Life East, let's make it right with God today. You know why? Because the community we live in, it's going to impact them. If we're right with him, we're going to impact people out there. If not, we're going to live a quiet life. So let's do what God leads us to do today. Patrick, you lead us.